Hey, 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 it's Laura Kemp. Thank you so much for being back here with me on the Changing the System podcast. Just a quick note before we get into it this is episode three and the second part of the drug policy series. Episode two was on racism in drug policy, and I really recommend you listen to it before you listen to this one if you haven't already, because it's so important to understand how racism has shaped drug policy and is still doing so. So please tune into that as well. So this upcoming conversation will be a bit more lighthearted, but still important. Thijs Roos, my guest, will be exploring future scenarios of how we can legalize all drugs and how that could make the world a better place. And Thijs has been a total visionary with this way before it was cool. Thijs has an amazing record. He was head of news for Vice News in Amsterdam. He was correspondent drugs for the influential online platform The Correspondent. He's currently writing a book about the war on drugs and he's just a brilliant researcher. I met Thijs in New York where I was his intern for a news program. Story for another time. To get into the mood for this episode, I watched the film Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas for the very first time in which Johnny Depp goes on this really crazy, druggy, super visual, trippy road trip in the early 70s based on the book by journalist Hunter S. Thompson. But the reason why I mention it is that the reason why the main characters are getting so fucked up and want to self-destruct is because they are sad that the, the energy of the 60s is gone and they miss the sense of belonging of the social change movement and they feel it was all in vain and in so many ways it feels like we're in a new 60s right now right i know many of us have been thinking protesting trying to change the system and sometimes it gets really tiring and it feels like nothing really works but i just want to encourage us to keep going and we're on the right track and the 60s weren't in vain either so there's little thought from my side. Anyway, without further ado, let's get into the episode. Thank you for being here. Hi, Chais. Hey, Laura. Thank you so much for joining me on my podcast. It is my pleasure. We are going to talk about the change in worldwide drug policy. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully the change. <laughs> hopefully the change. I wanted to talk after a while about the the issue of legalization of all drugs. It was just, I had done a whole bunch of stories and every time it came up, like, hmm, there's a whole bunch of people actually using these substances. We all know that a bunch of these substances that are forbidden might not be so extremely dangerous as, as they were made mm -hmm, out to be mm -hmm. in the 20th century. So we all know that there's, there's something a little off mm -hmm. there. But then I asked that question, like, hey, what if we legalize all drugs? And I, I called up like 10 people that were often in the news about drug policy issues. And when I touched upon the issue of legalization, well, they didn't throw the horn on the phone, but they more or less, it was like, no, we can't talk about that because we are, I don't know, publicly funded. No, we can't talk about it because we only do cannabis. We are only cannabis activists, oh. so we cannot comment on the legalization of ecstasy or something like that. And it was so weird that in, in the end, I was, I was stunned after about two days of calling people and trying to get a quote uh, on this for my story that in the end I only found one guy of like the legalized foundation mm -hmm. and he didn't even want to be in the 
paper, so to speak, with his full name. I even had to like shorten his last name or his first name so that he wasn't Googleable. And this was five years ago. And he was not in the government, no politician. No, he was just a, someone an independent activist with the Legalize Foundation, the, the foundation to legalize all drugs. And he was even afraid to like speak out about this openly. And I was like, oh my God, what is this sort of like taboo. taboo topic in this liberal country, the Netherlands, that supposedly is so open and tolerant and whatnot. And um, I, I first want to know if your computer is working. Where was I? Where were you? Well, you were noticing there was a big taboo, taboo. when yeah. you were trying to get information, even from activists. About even this. from activists. Yeah. And in the end, I just sort of decided, okay, then I'll just write about it myself. As, as, as just like a person, like, hey, here's like a column asking this question. Could we legalize all drugs? I, I thought the, the, the question was interesting because it's like, it's kind, of, it's kind of like peeking into the future to see what could or what would happen. But on the other hand, it was also like a quest for knowledge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like, there were Your so many Your own curiosity. Things, my own curiosity. There were so many things that I didn't understand. It's like, there were so many things about addiction that I didn't get. It's like, how can video games be addictive? Can sugar be addictive? But also heroin. Like, I saw these ads for video games, like, the most addictive game ever. And that was, like, okay. And then... That was almost like a promotional tagline. Promotional tagline. Then it was so so addictive. But then we're super uh, afraid about it when it comes to heroin. Yet heroin is a painkiller that's being prescribed, not in, in that form as a heroin, but in, in like, morphine, similar form yeah. as morphine or, like, any other sister molecule by doctors. And then... So, so, so there were so many philosophical questions like, hey, when is it okay to use these chemicals for a certain effect and when is it not? And I don't know. Like, um, Do you I, have I, any answers to that question? I mean, yes. <laughs> In the end, I've, I figured out that everything about a drug policy is culture policy. Yes, of course, there are dangerous drugs that are forbidden and they are forbidden because they are dangerous and that's good like fentanyl, for example, something that's so strong that I don't think that any non-professional should ever touch. But if alcohol, for example, is, is, is the most obvious example, is by all the science that we know, one of the most dangerous drugs that we know, yet it is in our supermarkets. Whenever you go to a race game, people spray each <laughs> other with alcohol when they want a game. Like, and it's a complete cultural thing and we're not, we're not cracking down on it. We're not making the rules any stricter on it. Tobacco, sort of same thing. We are making the rules stricter on it. But then weed is is super weird. So in, in the end, because it's like in many countries, sort of like a halfway thing, because people understand that it doesn't kill you, weed, but it has its own set of risks. Yeah. Like not doing your homework. Is one Paranoia. Of the risks. Paranoia, exactly. And uh, so that's why it's not so harshly enforced in most countries. So I quickly started understanding that there are more forces involved than just how bad they are. And I just came to the conclusion that it's culture. It's it, it, culture is we don't we don't accept certain things in our society as a as a culture. And certain cultures are more open to accepting them. And other cultures are more restrictive. And 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 it varies from country to country and it varies from drug to drug. Right. There's so much machinery involved in this as well. So you have so many people who don't know anything about these drugs. Like even the term drugs, we're talking about dozens of different molecules with dozens of different effects, which all are as different from one another Mm -hmm. as skiing is from visiting Disneyland. And, you know, and a wide range of experiences in between. 
yet they're being regulated only on basis of their risks, not on the basis of their benefits, and then add in a whole bunch of 100-year-long racism, classism, mm -hmm. um, and just simply ignorance, right. <laughs> simple ignorance. And that's what drug policy is. I, and I always hate sounding like some sort of like weird fringe art activist when I say it, but I, I say this only because I dove into it. And I very often went, went to like uh, ask myself the question, what was the first moment this drug was introduced into a society? And what was the response, political response, uh, you know, uh, health response to this drug? And in 80% of the cases of all the big drugs, it's just like complete bullshit stories that landed these substances on scheduled lists, which then sort of trickle down throughout society. And it's like nobody asks the question anymore, like, why are these drugs actually illegal? So first they make it Thing. illegal and later they try to justify Find that it. with science or excuses. Exactly. Or exactly. It, goes always, it always goes the other way around. Right. Yeah. And, and nowadays you have all these measures and all these uh, guidelines on how drugs should be made illegal. And I've seen the process at work. They're hammer pieces. It happens once a year in Vienna. There's a big hall of the United Nations that comes together, the CND, the Commission on Narcotic Drugs. And just a guy from probably the World Health Organization or maybe some other sort of like a big stature uh, organization comes into the hall and just basically says, we have this new thing. It's blah, 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 0.8, whatever, fentanyl. Mm. Um, we have no, it is known to cause harms. All in favor of banning this. Yeah, all against, no hands being raised. I, I saw like 10 new drugs being forbidden within one hour and no uh, no objections whatsoever because nobody knows. As if, the, as if the, the, the these diplomats that are in there are health experts or drug experts. Yeah. Not, so not how should it work then? Oh, <laughs> good one. Uh, how should it work? How it should work is that you look at a certain substance and you just look at it like, okay, what? why do people use it? That's one. So what's the setting in which people use it? And for what reason? Then what are its health risks? And how can we mitigate these health risks the best? So if we talk about something like coffee, it's like people use it to get up in the morning. And so there's probably a whole bunch of people that, I don't know, want to have it at convenient locations. Is, the, is coffee okay or is it not okay? I think it's okay. We should be able to openly sell it in supermarkets, whatever. Then when it comes to cannabis, it's like, mm, there's some more risks. So you need you need a minimum age. You want to really think about your advertising. Like they shouldn't be able to advertise. But besides that, so there's a couple of, I mean, maybe some information on the counter. Like, hey, if you use cannabis, maybe you should be aware of this and this and this and that. And you're done. <laughs> yeah. So that, each drug individually. Each drug. Yeah. There are so many drugs that each drug individually, and then you can maybe group a couple together, something like magic mushrooms, which, you know, are psychedelic, just like LSD, or maybe something like DMT. You can all group those together. Maybe then you can do it the same way as cannabis, but maybe you need like some sort of like exam or some sort of permit, like like we know for, like if you want a weapon, if you want a weapon in the Netherlands, you can. There's gun clubs that you can go to. You have to go through like all the necessary courses and then you can get a weapon. Well, I think if, you, if we can do it with weapons, I think we should be able to do it with psychedelics. And you can also think that maybe there needs to be some sort of, it's not a theory exam, but maybe it's like a club or like a, a health club, something like a meditation center-ish Thing that only they yeah. can give so it out. So people will, will prepare themselves for their first trip, have to pass a test. Yeah, that's um, a good point. Yeah, exactly. Maybe a medical examination, can you handle it? And then yeah, exactly. try it's it out. Yeah. 
then you have to go through a personal process and you really have to want it as well. So that will yeah, exactly. also exclude risk for people who just randomly think, oh, yeah. peer pressure. Yeah, exactly. I yeah. Thought, here in the Netherlands for a few years ago, uh, there was a girl who committed suicide and her friend said that she was on mushrooms and it was like a big deal here. And then for a short while, the idea was floated to, um, for example, for tourists to have like a two-day waiting period that when you land in Amsterdam, you can say like, hey, I want mushrooms and only two days later, you can come pick them up. So that you have two days to like think about where you're going, what you're doing. It reminds me of abortion. Oh God! <laughs> no, oh, like, I mean, I see you so, have a so waiting many, yeah. in Holland. If you want to have an abortion as a woman, you have a couple of days of yeah mandatory? waiting time, mandatory. Oh my God! Yeah, really? that happens in the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't even know. I, I, I thought that was like an extremist Mississippi type thing. Really. Wow. Okay, well, something similar. Yeah, like waiting periods. The thing with the war on drugs is you, as long as drugs are illegal, the war on drugs is perpetual. No matter how you put it, if, if you want to talk about a system that you ha- they have in Portugal or here in Amsterdam, it's decriminalization, It's which means that you maybe no, don't go after users, but the producers are still producing this illegally. And there needs to be, in, in my vision, in, my, in, the idea, in the scenarios that I built, it's like you can make access super restrictive as long as there's some legal path towards them. If, if you make the, the thresholds too high for people to get these substances, they will go back to the, to the black market again. So that's one thing. So you, you, you want to make these thresholds so high enough so that people consider the health risks, yet low enough so that people can still access them. Yes. It but takes you, a bit of effort. Yeah, it, so that it takes a bit of effort, and, and, and I'm really against uh, commercialization. Like, I see the same thing happening with cannabis now in the United States, where, you know, so certain states are just too friendly towards big money, mm-hmm. <laughs> so to speak. And big money, big money is really the enemy of health. People always talk about drug pushers, you know, but drug pushers can exist legally as well, and they can, have, they can rent huge billboards, and they can push drugs on people. I think the, the most ideal future of drugs is one in which they are legally available for those who want it yet are not being pushed by commercialization on people so how does that work then well uh, for example uh you can test your drugs here in uh, in amsterdam if you in this illegal market there is luckily some sort of way to see what's in your pill but if i tell you this now like you have never seen where this location is you have to go online you have to find out where this place is because you are within that niche that needs to know about it. It's the same thing, I think, for something like uh, a place that can sell drugs in the future, where if you are in the know, you just Google it, or you just know like where the service, the psychedelic service is, or whatever whatever it is. You come there, and there's no big like neon signs. There's just the door, and maybe we'll say psychedelic services. You walk mm. in, and there's just... So it's not yeah. being promoted. It's not being promoted. No advertisements, no... No overtly big billboards outside, no no discounts. You know, it's just, it is what it is. Branding, you could talk about. Like, I, <laughs> I was, the inspiration comes from all, comes from everywhere. I was once in a tobacco shop close to my place. I think I was looking for postcards and it was a literal tobacco <laughs> shop. They didn't have anything else except maybe some chewing gum. And uh, there was this girl there and the, the, this girl came up to me and was like, hey, have you tried the new Pall Mall whatever? new cigarettes and i was like no and by the way is this not illegal what you're doing and she said no if you are within a real tobacco shop some form of promotion is allowed and ah. i yeah and i would once I, you're in the space once you're in the space once you're already in that bubble i can imagine that it doesn't 
in my honest opinion, it doesn't necessarily need to be like a white uh, packaging, Helvetica 10, determined, whatever. If you can have some branding, but let's not push it on people. Because we, so far, I've only talked about drugs that are non-addictive. If you start talking about things like speed, like amphetamines or, or cocaine or heroin, you get into different types of models. We, we all saw what happened in the United States where pain pills were being pushed on people by doctors. Mm. And then it's not the doctors pushing it so much on the patients, but it's, the, uh, it's, it's big pharma pushing it on the doctors so that it just pops up in the mind of a doctor a little bit quicker than, than before. Um, and that's, that's, you see that all the time. So I, I am not naive to what could happen if you start legalizing these things. But I'm saying it's not a revolution. Like the future of drugs is not a revolution that we need should start. We should start tomorrow, but it, it doesn't happen within one day. It's like a step by step by step by step program and seeing what happens and seeing what works. I mean, there, there, there were so many things wrong with the war on drugs that, that there's the level of knowledge is so incredibly low. Like people don't know what the difference between MDMA and LSD is, for example, or giving a clear definition of what addiction is, is really hard. In the end, I sort of saw it as my role to just turn it into a vision more than that I keep on. I didn't want to go into the bullshit that was being spread because otherwise you're only talking about bullshit. Even mm. if you're trying to sort of like um, fact check people, you're still joining responding them, to responding it. to bullshit. Yeah. yeah. So what I rather just do is just talk about how the how this future could look like by comparing it to things that people already know. Yeah. So that's that's what I try. And then in that way, I, I can... And if people ask me uh, an, an honest question about my my own experience with these substances, I will also gladly tell them because I feel that, you know, there's in the Netherlands, there's more than a million people who've tried MDMA and maybe five of them have been on t- television admitting such. So, <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. know, it's like it's, it, it, coming out is, is part of... Part, Part of, of the process, yeah. the honesty. Well, we'll come back to that later. And why you, Tice? Why are you the, the chosen it's the, person? It's the burden I have to carry, Laura. It's the burden I have to carry. No, because it, just I mean, for, for, kinda, no, for listeners, like Tice, Tice Roos in Holland yeah. is, you are the drugs guy. I guess, I guess. Um, but I, it's I, a status. I, it's true, it's true. It's, it's a status. But if, if, I am interested in so many things. Like I, I'm a big astronomy fan as well and a big fan of sustainability and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And Every now and then, like I, I get the feeling like, oh God, why why aren't there ten other Tyses to do this? Please, please show yourselves and do this because I, there's a whole bunch of people that are super good at drug education or data processing or out of the box thinking. They all exist here, or lobbyists, or you know. But there's there's, just there's, one there's you. maybe two journalists that I that I maybe one or two journalists that I trust with correct storytelling about drugs because Mm -hmm. i mean when you look at this from a media perspective it's like the weirdest thing ever where these million people that use it they don't talk (laughs) so the the experts of the 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 people who've used it they they shut up about it then again at the same time the amount of bullshit is overwhelming about these drugs and the the bad consequences of the war on drugs so crime and 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 health uh, issues are blamed on the drugs themselves and not on the system in which they're being used. So the moment you start talking about drugs, you're already 10-0 behind. And it's sometimes it feels a little bit like a burden. Like my parents, for example, my, my poor mom, like it, it hasn't helped. It hasn't helped the relationship uh, at all. So sometimes it, it, I, I'd rather not 
talk about it, but it is uh, it sounds so corny, but it, it sometimes it feels more like a duty than uh, it started out of love, and now it, it many oftentimes I got out of bed out of duty and not out of not out of not pure of love because I yeah. know this yeah because I I, I love dig I'm a researcher and I'm a journalist and I sort of know I got the answers I was looking for. But now, now you need to communicate and now them I need with to the rest of the world. communicate them to the rest of the world, and that's that's like a shitload of work. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think you're doing very well. Well, I, and you I, have I, to I, finish. And no, I have to finish. It's just a long process, and uh, it, it, right now I'm. I already wrote like a whole bunch. It's just the editing. Check back in uh, next summer and see where I am. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm taking half year leaps. Uses back the same thing. Do you thing, think drug use is innate to the human race? Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. I mean. It doesn't have to be in a fascist society. I think you should be able, you could be able to to maybe get rid of all drug use in some sort of way. Although people will start sniffing glue, I guess. Then it's I, I say yes only because it's that's that's what I know. Maybe there's a there, maybe there's a dimension in which humans or animals don't use anything, but especially at night, I think a lot of people really love to unwind in a certain point in a certain way, and cigarettes have always. Been part well, not always, but less than thousand years have been part of our culture. So mm-hmm. I think so, and I mean, to me, it's um, I don't have any moral judgments against people uh, that want to use drugs. And so many of these drugs have been so special experiences for me myself, like that. I also don't want to deny people this these experiences. Yeah, because your epiphany came <laughs> during. Your first LSD trip? Or? Uh, no, it was not my first LSD trip, I think. No, first LSD trip I ever took, I, w- I just watched Lord of the Rings. This. Okay. So, <laughs> and became a lo- lifelong fan. But there was one in particular that was, was one really in important. I mean, it really speaks to like how it's not the drug itself that can, uh, or a psychedelic itself that can cause a uh, sort of like life-changing experience. It's drugs are always about set and setting, which mindset you have, but also where you use it. It was this one day that sort of like really challenged like a ma- many of the moral conceptions I had about drugs and drug use, like the taboo, like, oh my God, it's unhealthy or whatever. I, I went to a house in a forest with a friend of mine, one my my best friend. And uh, we went on a bike ride and dropped acid. And it was like this beautiful spring day and there were cows out in the field and Things were in bloom and the mm. river was flowing gently. Talk us through it, Yeah, and we looked down on this valley and it was just so nice. And <laughs> like the first thing that we said is like, oh my God, we never realized how beautiful the Netherlands is. It's actually, there are certain parts here that are stunning and we had never realized <laughs> something like that. We thought it was all flat and ugly. And uh, no, it wasn't. It was super nice. So we had this fantastic day already, like uh, out and about. And we biked all the way home and LSD lasts for about 10 hours. So I was like, in about the seventh hour or so of this trip. We come back to the house and uh, my friend's like, uh, hey, uh, I'm going out for a smoke. And I'm like, okay, I guess... A I'll, cigarette. A cig- Yeah, sorry, a smoke. It's, it's a cigarette, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, sure, I think I'll join you. But this was what's, what was going on. I had been trying to quit for like a long time. And right before this weekend started, uh, he had forced me to buy my own cigarettes because I was like a super annoying smoker. I only bumped cigarettes off of other people always. And he was like, if you're going to bump cigarettes off of me the whole weekend, then I'm, you know, I'm going to not have enough cigarettes for myself. (laughs) So uh, (laughs) uh, he said, just buy your own pack, buy your own pack. So I I reluctantly had bought my own pack because I thought like this will make me smoke more and I don't want to smoke. And I was looking at this package, this, this 
cigarette package while my friend was outside smoking and I was still sort of like contemplating like I don't really shall want, I or shall, shall I not I, shall I not and I like focusing attention is super in, is super important uh, with a psychedelic trip so if you don't magically change your behavior by not thinking about something it, it you really have to sort of like study and almost meditate on, on what it is you're trying to solve at that moment I wasn't trying to solve anything I was just looking at the pack And I realized a couple of like super banal basic things that everybody knows, like smoking is unhealthy. But also if like I feel an urge to now join my friend, but it's more about me wanting to go outside. If there would be orange juice waiting for me over there, I would gladly just try the orange juice. It instead was a of social cigarettes. thing you it were was looking a social forward thing to. And just yeah. like a some, I wanted something and maybe it's like an oral fixation. I don't know what it is. Um, and then in, in the end it's like, I also realized like, hmm, this LSD is like a, as a drug, like from a drug perspective, this LSD is like a really intense, magical, weird, monumentous thing that's happening to me. And having a cigarette is what? Like a small little rush? Like as a drug, nicotine is like really boring. That's what I also realized. Like nobody ever says like, hey, let's use nicotine tonight. You know, that's, mm -hmm. that's not what you do. Um, So I, it really felt like, is that really, is that boring drug really w w worth like dying 10 years earlier over, you know? Uh, and I got answers to all these basic banal questions in a way that, that, and the LSD made them feel much more profound because they were profound. They are basic questions, but they instantly got ingrained into my system in a sort of way. Like I almost felt sort of like some of the switches in my brain of thoughts of thought loops that always went like, oh, I want to smoke. Let's go out for a cigarette. I shouldn't do this, but fuck it. Yeah, that, the that, same that ruminations. A, that yeah, yeah, exactly. Suddenly I felt that being broken, some couple of switches being flipped. And and I was like, so I'm not going to smoke anymore. No, I'm, I'm just not going to smoke anymore. And I walk outside and I tell this to my friend. I'm like, hey, I think I just quit smoking. And he's like, dude, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. And I'm like, okay, but I, I, I didn't smoke that day. I didn't smoke the day after. And on Monday I come into the office and I pit, I tell my, this is the vice office in Amsterdam. And I, uh, I tell my colleagues what happened. And I said, I said like, I think I quit smoking. And they said, well, if in two months you haven't touched the cigarettes yet, then uh, you can write the story. Well, it was a breeze. I didn't want to smoke anymore. And, uh, and in the end I wrote my story about it because it, It, it it was such a conundrum. It was like, on one hand, I had to sort of feel guilty about the LSD trip that I took because it was illegal, but it helped me quit a legal drug that was super unhealthy for me. So how how can can it be that my morality is so defined by the fact that it's illegal, even though the experience was so positive? And um, that was really like a breaking point for me because I I had mm. I posted this story online, but it was also for me or almost like a coming out like hey i used an illegal substance something i had never <laughs> publicly acknowledged before mm -hmm. on the other hand also this this sort of like moral thing where i just realized like oh there are a couple of drugs in that long list of drugs that i actually almost support and there are a bunch of drugs that i hate and yeah so you you got so much more insight into your own belief system yeah exactly yeah because of things that happened to me Because of things that I experienced on these drugs. And it's so hard to to even convey this point to people because they haven't experienced it. 
it's something that it was such a personal experience for me that I cannot, I can only tell about people about it, but I can never convince people really of something. I, I told myself I was never going to talk about this story again. But I smoke crack for journalism. Wait, what? I smoke crack for journalism. Whoa. You're now tuned in to the <laughs> and, uh, uh, and, and I had already written the entire story thinking I knew what I was talking about and then uh, found this guy who uh, had, uh, sorry, girl actually, who had crack. And I was like, just give me a hit. I want to mm-hmm. see what it is. And I instantly realized that the effect that you get of it is exactly the same as when you snort it, just a little bit quicker and intenser. But the actual effect that you feel for 20 minutes is no different from the expensive cocaine that you know from like Wall Street or uh, you know lawyers or whatever who use whoever uses it, and I thought it was so interesting that the drug itself had so many cultural stigmas. On, more but, than coke, yeah, crack, yeah, definitely yeah. more than more than coke. Even though the the feeling that these people were after was exactly the same, and I would have never been known that. Like, and I try. I think I tried to find it beforehand, and people were, weren't even able to explain to me what crack was really. So moments like that really taught me. It's like, okay, I still have all these moral reprehensions against it. I, 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 of course, I'm not objective. I cannot be in because everybody has an opinion about drugs. But it, in, in this case, it really taught me. It made my story better. Yeah, it, it, more truthful. Yeah. So you know, and, maybe you kind of yeah. overestimated crack in a way. Yeah. And and it's effect yeah or... and everybody said of course oh my yeah. god aren't you afraid that you're now addicted and it's like you know you can we can have a f- five hour discussion about that about simply that line and yeah still not uh, still not know it but it, I, it what i usually hope to be defined by i think mm. personally more is not so much the fact that i'm not only advocating for the legalization of drugs but i'm still tethered to like reality mm-hmm. <laughs> that i yeah. that i'm very aware of both the health risks and the social stigma Yet we have to find a way out of this. Like, because if we don't, the war on drugs is just perpetual and decriminalization will not help. That that just means that you don't go after a few people, but you hide the discussion from public view because criminals will still supply the market. The only thing I want is that people could start considering legalization as a real option and ask themselves, okay, if we legalize, then how, how should we do it? Not it, for, for me, it's not so much an if, if we should legalize, because we, we should legalize all drugs in a certain way. But how? Mm-hmm. If, if, it, if it's, by the way, don't get me wrong, I think that, uh, for example, heroin, cocaine, and meth, I don't see any sort of like, I don't want them in stores. I think that it's only for people who are really addicted. I think we should, legal, in, in those cases, we should legalize drugs that are very similar to these three, but uh, way less risky. So, for example, coca, cocaine. I would first like to try it out with coca leaf. I have it here. So here. Oh, it's, it's, it's just a, for reference, Tice is just showing me a bit of coca leaf. <laughs> coca leaf. Aromatica, aromatica de coca. Where'd you they get it? Be, this is my friend brought it from Colombia. Oh. And um, they, they say that they, they take the cocaine out of it, but uh, it's, it's coca leaf tea, so... If you have regular, Does this make you high already? If you, if you drink the whole... Uh, if you make tea out of the whole package, then a little bit. But yeah. not high, it's, it's an upper, so it's more yeah, like coffee. Yeah, like a... Yeah. yeah. And coca leaf is really... If you look at the cocaine and coca leaf, it's such a low dose that the health 
risks are so neg- neg- negligible. Neglectable. Neglectable, negligible. Yeah, yeah, we're Dutchies. Um, <laughs> that, that I say, okay, well, if you legalize coca leaf or cocaine as like an ingredient, then cocaine chewing gum, for example, I would rather have people being taking ch- cocaine chewing gum on the dance floor than s- snorting cocaine. And yeah, but if the effect is not the same... So the effect has to be at least, say, 50% of the yeah. other one. Because what you see in an illegal drug market, you saw this prohibition the, the, the best, um, is that people want bang for their buck. So everybody grabs like the most powerful, potent substance over something that is, you know, way less effective, so to speak. If we had forbidden coffee, mm-hmm. illegal coffee would be espresso. Everybody would be drinking mm-hmm. espressos because you just want... The, the caffeine, yeah. you want a shot, you want quick, easy to transport, small substances, and as much bang for your buck. So everybody in, during Prohibition started drinking whiskey. In an illegal cocaine market, all the cocaine tooth droplets disappeared, the cocaine chewing gum disappeared, the coca tea disappeared, it all disappeared. And the only thing that really remained is cocaine, the most potent version mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of this drug. If you start legalizing all these other softer versions of, of the same molecule it's the same molecule but just in lower dosages and and d- different types of intake you will not get 100 of the cocaine market of course not you will probably even widen the amount of people that will start using cocaine but you will definitely get a part of that cocaine market and will normalize cocaine in such a way that if people want to use cocaine they will probably just order coca leaves and make it themselves which is also not ideal and stuff but I, I say, like, I've tried to envision beyond that. Mm-hmm. But if if we are not successful in even legalizing cannabis or MDMA right now, then it's really hard to ask Thijs Roos to come up with, like, all the fucking solutions for everything. For everything. Yeah. So it's like, okay, I can I can think until a certain point, And then after that, it just becomes too much of, like, I'm not the genie from Aladdin, you know? It's like, I, I don't, they cannot go after everyone. So they have to go after some. And that's, it's not corruption, luckily. But it is a willekeur. What is that in, in English? It's Arbitrary. random. It's yeah. random. So who they go after has an element of randomness, which makes it unfair in a, in, a, in a judicial system. Besides that, if you just kind of look at violent conflicts, let's act for a moment as if there's no war over land or religion right now. Because war is waning all over the world, like less and less uh, military conflicts all over the world, which is great. But there's one that happens in each and every country, and that's the war on drugs. And it's being fought by mostly police against cartels with some regular citizens in the mix. And sometimes a lot of citizens in the, in the mix. Mm-hmm. And it's a waste of money. It's an, it's an un, it, it doesn't help public health. It worsens public health in so many ways. And that's sort of the thing. That, that's, I think, the thing that's been bothering me so much is that the, the reason why we're not fixing it is sort of like moral reprehension against drugs but not because it's the rational thing to do. And to me, it almost sounds in a way simple to do. It's not simple to do it. Like you, you need a huge effort, but it's also, it's it's not the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, so to speak. There's not a deep, deep resentment. It's, some, it's just, okay, there's a bunch of people who want to do magic mushrooms. Sure, under these conditions, fine. Like mm-hmm. private residence, whatever. <laughs> you know, I don't know. But for some reason we have said, no! No, we can't. And 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 that's it doesn't make any real sense. Mm-hmm. Doesn't make any real sense. Again, for me it's 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 a, it's a direction of thinking and I I don't have all the solutions, but I no. do think that if people start to understand more of okay, by the way, not all drugs are the same. There are 
low-risk drugs and high-risk drugs. Let's not legalize everything in one day, but let's take time and at least consider the possibility. And let's sometimes legalize certain drugs that are harmful, but not so harmful as their sort of like big evil brother or sister. So I, I'm, I'm, by the way, I'm for the legalization of opium. I think we should bring opium back instead of heroin. I, 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 <laughs> not really, like, but it's like, I'd rather have opium than heroin. Let's put it that way. Yeah. yeah. You can still make your own heroin. Wow, ladies and gentlemen, that was Thijs Roos. I'm sure we could have all listened to him for a lot longer. And you can. You can follow him on his YouTube page, uh, Controlled Substance, or on Twitter at Thijs Roos. That is T-H-I-J-S-R-O-E-S. And let's all stalk him to make sure he hurries up with his book launch. The world needs it! What do I have to add after all of this? I don't want to sound boring, but I, I generally agree with Thijs. Personally, I'm a total grandma and I always advise everyone to be really careful with drugs. But the system right now is just not working and it's dangerous. It might be good to have a look at how Portugal did it. They decriminalized all drugs in 2001 and addiction has lowered and healthcare workers there say that it's a much safer environment to work in right now and more effective. So why don't all other countries follow suit? And if the answer is cultural, then how do we change the culture? You know what? I think there's a big role to play for recreational users. Yes, I'm talking to you. I mean, it's interesting how our generation is so aware of where food comes from, how our clothes are being produced, and we're all wanting to work on a better world. But when it comes to party drugs, we don't really care. And we should, because we're complicit if we don't. So let's demand fair trade MDMA and conflict-free coca leaves. We should dream big. And that's what this podcast was all about anyway. So I hope you enjoyed listening. I hope you learned something. I hope you're inspired. And if you have any ideas on the future of drugs and legalization, or maybe you think it's a horrible idea, reach out and join the conversation. And a big thanks to Ewan McCallies for the edit and Ian LeBlue for the music. Goodbye. And for the Dutchies, doei. You're now tuned in to the lesson.